Father, we lift up our praises to you. For Father, you are truly worthy of it all. And Father, we take this time to bow before you. God, as creation bows before you, so will I. And so, Father, we pray that you would accept this offering of praise, Lord. God, as we commit this time to you, Father, we ask that you would enter into our lives, our hearts. Father, that you would, that you would reign supreme. Lord, that we would submit to you completely. And Father, that you would speak to us, Lord, in these next moments as we hear what you have laid on my heart. And Father, I pray that you would help, help each and every one of us to grow through the challenges that you give each and every one of us. Father, we love you and we thank you. In your name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, good morning. I've had kind of an interesting start this morning. Seems like if everything, if it could go wrong, it has gone wrong. But we are here. And welcome. Uh, as you have noticed, and I already stated, Lindsay is off for this week. She is taking some much needed rest and time off with Valerie and Elizabeth. And yes, she made it. Whew. But uh, Lindsay, Valerie, and Elizabeth, they're taking some much-needed time off, uh, having a girls' weekend uh, somewhere out of the city. They're not even here. So if anything goes wrong, they don't care. I think her exact words were, don't burn the church down, and if you do, make it look like an accident. <laughs> and if we do, then we're going to have to delete this sermon because that's just an admin, ad admission of guilt. But... Uh, we are starting a new sermon series today, and that sermon series is called Called Out. I had to enter a pause there because this morning there was a little confusion. Is it called out or is it called called out? And so it is called called out. Uh, and how many of you guys have ever been called out before? Like, yeah, by me, someone's pointing to me. Yeah, thanks. So... For those of you who might not be aware what being called out is, uh, it is basically you did something wrong and you're hoping you can get away with it. But someone else saw you and they're not going to let you get away with it. And so they, they might publicly announce the wrong that you've done and then you're, you're, you've been called out. But have no fear. Today's sermon is not about being called out in that way. I'm not going to promise future sermons won't be because I have no control over those. I can only tell you what my sermon is about. But uh, as we do with every new sermon series, we start with prayer. And so if you will join with me in prayer, Heavenly Father, we once again lift our prayers up to you. Father, we ask that you would enter into our hearts and our presence, Lord, that you, uh, God, that you would show us what it means to be called out. And Father, I pray for your hand of blessing over the, the entirety of this sermon series, Lord, uh, that we would grow through being called out by you. And Father, that we would learn to be accustomed to being called out by you. Father, we love you and we thank you in, 
and it is in your wonderful name that we pray. Amen. So, I got a confession to make. One of my very favorite things in life is trivia. I love trivia. Uh, and in fact, my wife would tell you if I am listening to some of my music in the car, and again, I am a weird guy. I listen to video game music, and it's very, it, but they, they make some very beautiful pieces of music. Sometimes they hire orchestras to make this music. And so one of my favorite things to do when we're in the car is to guess the name of the song and the video game it came from. And my wife would tell you it happens every time. I do it without fail. Uh, and so another one of my favorite things to do is Bible trivia. So today we're going to play a little Bible trivia. Yeah. Anybody ever been in a Bible bowl before? Okay. We got a few people. So this might be, what's that? <laughs> yeah, no buzzers. Sorry. Uh, but today I've got two Bible trivia questions for you. The first one is, where is the first time the word church used in the Bible? I'm not looking for answers. You, do, you can just think, where is the first time the word church is used in the Bible? The second question is, how many times is church used in the Bible? Yeah, that, this one seems pretty obscure, but I, I assure you, there is a plain, simple, easy answer. Now, some of us are going to be guessing about this, but, you know, a close guess is pretty good. So, you guys got your answers? You ready? The answer is the word church as we know it is not in the Bible. It's kind of a trick question. And I, you know, some of you guys might be having this. No, I'm pretty sure church is in the Bible having that kind of mentality. Uh, but in order to do so, uh, we need to look into the word church. We need to answer this confusion because uh, there has become a lot of, I will say, confusion about what we mean when we say church. And the verse that we're going to look at today is in Matthew chapter 16. It's verses 13 through 18. So you can either follow along on your phone. We'll have it up here. Or if you want a Bible, we've got some in the back. We'll get one in your hands. Uh, but Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18, has a key to figuring out this quandary. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And so, real quick, before we get into what, it mean, what Jesus means here when he says church, there are a few things that we need to lay a foundation for uh, about what a church is or what a church requires. And so the first thing that we see uh, that a church requires is that, church, that Christ needs to be at the foundation of the church. 
If Christ is not at the foundation of a church, then it's not a church at all. It's a cult. The second thing we see here is that when Christ is at the foundation, hell cannot conquer it. When Christ is at the focal point of our church, hell has no power. Now, does that mean we're not going to endure hard times? We will endure some hard times, but hell will not overcome. And the last thing that we see is that we are the church. We are the church. The people, our collective gathering is the church. Now, now to get to this idea, what does Jesus mean by the church? So, the word that Jesus uses here, the Greek word that it is written in is ecclesia. And what that means is called out ones. It's to be called out from your home into a gathering place. And so what Jesus is saying here is not, he's not going to build his building on Simon Peter, but he's going to build his called out ones on the foundation that Peter has just laid out, that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, we need to look into, in order to fully understand church, we need to look into the etymology or the history of a word. I love history. And so I'm sorry if this is going to be boring you, but this fascinates me. So I'm going to do everything I can to try and make it fascinating to you. I'm not going to dance, though. Don't think. Don't. No dancing. But, so as I said, uh, the word that Jesus uses here is ecclesia. And this is actually the first word that the early Christian believers became known as. They were called the ecclesia. And the reason they were called that is because, well, they didn't actually have a local meeting place. Uh, this was because uh, believing in God, uh, believing that Jesus was the Son of God, was an unpopular belief back then. And in fact, the Romans persecuted anyone who believed as such. And so the early Christian church endured such persecution that if they were to meet regularly at the same place, much as we do today, well, that's the surest way to get yourself killed. So they had an underground movement of believers where they would change around where they would meet, who, who met when. And so it was a very, very complex and kind of very stealthy. It's pretty cool, but terrifying at the same time. Now, this all changed when one man came into power, and that was Constantine. He was the first Roman emperor to declare himself a Christian. And with that, it became legal to worship God. And this is actually the time where we begin to see Christianity formalizing and getting buildings. And in fact, these buildings became known as basilica. You might have heard that word before if you've been paying attention to history. Uh, but our Christian believers would begin to meet in basilica. And over time, over years, decades, centuries, uh, as these basilica became uh, more prevalent and expanding into neighboring territories, uh, they made their way to a place called Germany. It wasn't called Germany at the time, but uh, at that point, thanks to uh, a bunch of German theologues, uh, they coined the, for, uh, the word Kirche which is the German word for church. I probably butchered that. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're, you're fine. Uh, but that is the German word for church. And they, because of this prevalence of the word, 
our, our common word today, church, is based off of kirsha. Now, it's important to note that there is a huge difference between kirsha and ecclesia. And, in fact, it's important to note that Jesus does not use the word, he doesn't even use the word basilica, which was a word available during that time. Instead, he calls them the ecclesia because we as Christians have been called out. But it's, it's no wonder that we've had some confusion over the years of calling it a church that we have some confusion of what we really are. And so today we need to dispel and we need to look into what is the church. And the first thing that we, we have to acknowledge is that the church is the body of Christ. And you have probably heard this mentioned before in one way or another. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, it says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all... Well, I lost my spot. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy... Speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You see, we've recently, and you might have in the past, taken a spiritual gifts test. And each of these gifts reveal how God has uniquely blessed you to serve his kingdom. And just as we all have uh, parts to our bodies, uh, hands, feet, all of that, which are uniquely gifted and designed to be good at what they do, each one of us have gifts that God has blessed us with that we are uniquely designed to excel at. Now, I want to be clear. Nowhere among this scripture does it say being a congregation is a gift. You are not God's gift to the church. You are just God's gift in general. And I will also add in there, falling, or staying awake during a pastor's sermon is not a gift, Okay. Some people might consider that a curse, but I'm looking at you, Dad. Just because you're back there by yourself doesn't mean God doesn't see you fall asleep. Maybe. But God and Jesus expect us to use our gifts. They expect us to use them to his fullest glory. In fact, we see it in uh, Matthew chapter 28, it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority on heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in addition to this, he says in Acts chapter 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, God has given us unique talents, our our abilities, and he expects us to use it for his kingdom. You see, Jesus is very intentional, and he knows exactly what he's saying when he says, Ecclesia, because we are the called out ones. Being, and being the body of Christ actually has nothing to do with a building. And the second thing that we need, and this leads us to the second thing that we need to understand about the church, and that is the church is a gathering place. You see, there's biblical merit to meeting in a building. Please hear me say that. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with, the, with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You see, this scripture tells us a bunch of different things that we do when we gather together. First, we are sprinkled with his blood and we are made clean. Second, we are to draw near to God. We are to hold tightly to hope. We are to motivate one another We don't give up meeting together, and we encourage one another. Now, it's important to note, I want to stress the not neglecting to meet together because this is a crucial thing that each one of us needs to make sure that we are doing. Now, I wanted to be cool like I had told you about the word uh, ecclesia and what that is, so I looked up the word abandon in Greek, uh, or the word uh, do not... Okay, so I gave it away a little bit. But uh, the word uh, that they use in this, instead of neglect, this word actually means abandon. And that's a really hard, a much harsher word. However, uh, I wanted to give you like the Greek, uh, how you say this, but I never took Greek when I went to college. And so I have no idea. So I I asked my dad and uh, uh, I said, I need to figure out how to say this word. And so he said, well, you know what? Technology. Technology is the solution. Go figure. The tech director said technology is the solution. But we went online and he highlighted the word and we went text to speech and we wanted to figure out how do you say this word? And lo and behold, I I learned something new that day. And this is how you say that word. Gamma Kappa Alpha Tau Alpha Lambda Epsilon Pi Omicron Nu Tau Epsilon. That is exactly what I heard. So for those of you who don't understand what just happened, it spelled out the word. Gamma, Kappa, Epsilon, whatever it was, I learned something new. That is how you say that. Now, I will admit, I think something was lost in translation. So inevitably, I had to abandon my quest. But... This is, the, mean, the meaning is to neglect 
the meaning neglect instead should be the word abandon. And it, that has such a deeper connotation because abandoning is walking away from something that you are in charge of. And it's hard to believe that we're abandoning church, like that we're in charge of the church. But the truth is that God calls us to be together, not for ourselves, but for the sake of others. You see, the truth is, very often when we come to church, we come to see, what does the church do for me? What can the church do for me? But what the writer of the Hebrews is saying is, don't gather together to see what the church can do for you. But what can you do for others? We meet together so that we can encourage other believers and be encouraged by other believers. You see, there is a need for corporate fellowship. Each and every one of us has a craving for social interaction. Spend enough time on your own and you'll find that out. You see, the Scripture here calls us together so that we can rest in the presence of God and be refreshed by fellow believers. The Scripture reminds us that there is no room for Lone Ranger Christians. And once again, Hebrews 10, nowhere in there does it mention a building. Nowhere in there does it say you have to meet together in a building. It just says to gather together. Because there is power in a gathering place, no matter wherever or whatever that place is. It can be a home. It can be a movie theater. It can be a Starbucks. It doesn't matter. The importance is that you gather together. There's a growing house church movement in China. And an author uh, by the name of Kevin DeYoung, he interviewed some of these uh, house church leaders over in China. And they have been quoted to have said that they view themselves as an organizational mess. However, they look forward to the day where they can adopt a church building model. You see, they understand that there is power in meeting together in a large group. And that's the point of churches. That's what the point of church should be, to gather together in the name of Christ so we can build one another up. You see, a building can be a powerful tool, but it can also be incredibly misused. misused. Now, fortunately, I, I can say with absolute certainty that we here at Anchor Church, we are not about brick and mortar. We are about flesh and blood. We are absolutely about saving souls and bringing people to Christ and helping each other out. In fact, uh, it's our core statement, our core beliefs, navigate life together. But there's also a growing trend for third spaces. And if that is not something you're familiar with, there are three spaces that people usually crave. First, you've got your home space. That's, where you, that's your most intimate setting. Second, you've got your workspace. And the third is just a space where you go and you have fun, you socialize, you do things outside of the other two. Howard Schultz, the founder of uh, Starbucks, understands this concept, and he has been quoted to say that Uh, he's not selling coffee, he's selling third space. And that's why there's a Starbucks every 10 feet. And the church could be that third space. 
The church has the opportunity to be that third space. However, most often what we find is that churches become open-door fortresses where people can come in, but the people that have been, they've been there for long enough, they've got their routine. They've got their people that they talk to. They've got their, their things that they do every day, and they would much rather do that than meet people where they are, even someone that has walked through the door. So my first question to you guys, has your heart been made a fortress? Do you view Anchor Church as a fortress? And what can we do to change that? Because heaven forbid that we let someone walk through this door and we don't meet them where they are. Because, like it or not, this is counter to the third thing that we need to understand about the church. And that is that the church is the bride of Christ. You see, Christ demonstrated his love for us by sacrificing himself so that we can be made clean. In Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about how, uh, well, let's just look at it. It says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. Washed by the cleansing of God's word, he did this not to present herself as a glory. Er, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy without fault. You see, we've done sermons about this and on this in the past, but today we are focusing on the church implications. You see, throughout Scripture, God speaks about the church as the bride of Christ. And they are con- He is consistently showing us how he's, He has demonstrated His love to us by giving His Son. And it's interesting to note that there are so many qualifiers in here that are used in the Old Testament sacrifices. Being spotless, blameless, holy, without blemish. And the implication here is that God wants us to become living sacrifices. Romans chapter 1 verse or Romans chapter 12 says, "And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable." This is truly the way to worship him. And so the truth is that we gather together for the washing and the cleansing of God's word, as Ephesians puts it. You see, God doesn't wash us. He doesn't cleanse us. He doesn't do this so that he can set us aside and put us on display and say, look how clean this church is. Look how clean this person is. Instead, he does it so that we can be put to use, so that we can begin cleaning. And this means stepping out of our comfort zones. You see, the truth is, like it or not, God has made us to be sponges. 
cleaning sponges. And throughout life, we endure a lot. And we can become dirty, much like this sponge which has become stained over multiple uses. And in fact, the green is falling off, the abrasive part is falling off, and it's bare in places. This sponge has seen a lot of use. And yet, it has done more than this sponge has. You see, God calls us to be put to use. Now, the truth is that there is a four-step process to all of this. A four-step process that God wants us to go through each and every week. And the first step is to believe. Believe that Jesus Jesus gave his life so that one day we could be clean. So that we can be made holy without blemish. And then, once, once we are without blemish, he calls us to go into the world and begin cleaning. To begin the process of washing someone else. Taking on a little bit of their pain onto ourselves so that they might endure love, the love of Christ. And that's step two, to go. He calls us out. Jesus calls us out of our comfy, comfy seats, out of our Sunday routine. He calls us out to be among his people. And then step three, return. Gather together so we can rest in his presence and be refreshed and discipled by fellow believers so that we can be washed again, which leads us to step one, believe. The fourth step is to repeat, in case you missed that one. But we are called to do this step over and over again. Believe, go, return, repeat. Each time helping out others, taking upon some of their pain so that they can endure and sharing with them the love of Christ and then returning so that we can be washed and made clean again. Because as, with, as is the case with all sponges, they get dirty and they need to be washed as well. And the unfortunate truth is that we have become really good at step three. And at step one, we, we did step one at some point in the past. And we affirmed our belief a long time ago. And every once in a while, we might reaffirm. But today is the day that we repeat. Today is the day that we decide that we are going to start the process over again. That we are going to believe that we are going to go and we are going to return and repeat. And so maybe you've been in church for decades. Maybe you've been here your entire life. Or maybe you've only been here a few weeks, months even. Today is the day to change that. Now is your opportunity. I encourage you today, adopt a posture of prayer 
And let's take this time to submit to God, to commit our lives to Christ, be it for the first time or the 50th time. Time to, it's time to believe again. And then once we have done that, go into all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then return and repeat. So as we sing this last song again, I ask that you adopt a posture of prayer and take this moment to recommit your life to Christ and start the process over again.